Father in heaven, we're so grateful for this great land that you've given us to be stewards over and to manage under your sovereignty. We are so grateful and thankful, Father, that you have given us strength to live in such a way that honors you with ordered liberty and freedom and a measure of justice, not yet in its fullness, but a measure of it. We are so grateful, Lord, for giving us this this trust, this gift of our country. And we give you thanks this day for all those who have served her through sacrifice, through military service. I think today of my nephew and the FBI SWAT team and a former ranger. I think of, of men and women who are on, the, on boats today on the Coast Guard and my good buddy Bryce who's in Afghanistan, a best friend. And Father, we ask that you would bring this current conflict to a close, Lord, and, and restore a measure of peace, restrain evil, Lord, in these dark places. Bring our service people home, Lord. We're tired of the conflict. We pray for peace. We pray for peace. We know that ultimately that peace can only come when our King returns. Until that day, Lord, help us to be vigilant and guard this trust that you've given to us. God's people said, Amen. The Apostle Paul said to his young protege, he's writing from prison, his second imprisonment. It's a lousy uh, uh, jail. It's not, a, it's not in any way a, uh, a comfortable place. He's in the worst of all possible uh, prisons in, in, in Rome. He's facing death. It could be any day. The sword could come down and sever his head from his body any day. And so he is investing in this letter his last will and testament, his, his most treasured instruction for his young protege who's in his mid-30s and who's, who's actually not as timid as most people think. He's a pretty tough critter, this Timothy. He's been out there as an apostolic a delegate out there doing some hard work and some hard ministry. And God, in his mercy, is backing up his act, but Paul is concerned that Timothy will finish the race and and continue on doing the stuff, as they say, preaching the gospel, establishing churches and putting leaders in place so that this incredible treasure, this incredible trust that's been given to Paul from Christ and handed off to Timothy might be entrusted to others. And so we can say in chapter 1, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, as some translations say, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or self-control, a a level-headedness. Boy, do I need that. Then he says in verse 8, Therefore, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. 
Let me ask you, do you struggle at all with peer pressure? I think that that's a common phobia, a common condition of, of the human heart. We, we oftentimes are so concerned about what our peers think about us, we become, as they say, people pleasers. Do you give in to things against your will just to you know, go along to get along with your friends? Do you know what people expect? Some people are very gifted at that. They, they can discern, they can read what others expect, and then they will give back to them, reflect back to them what the expectation is, and, and through kindness and through good communication, they can ward off rejection. And sometimes that seems like they're just being a, a good and, and kind-hearted person. Nothing wrong with, 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 with being nice. It's nice to be nice. It's good to be good. It's kind to be kind. Those are all good things. But oftentimes people will use that in order to not experience any kind of rejection. Well, let me ask, are your friendships more about getting love or giving love? Are they more about getting served or, or, or serving others? What's the, the general tenor of, of your relationships? And oftentimes I think we mask our fear of rejection, our fear of man, through being, through being nice, through being kind. Do you get embarrassed about Christianity? How about about fellow Christians, fellow Christian leaders who maybe aren't as winsome as they should be or as smart as they could be or as well-educated as we'd hope they would be? Does that embarrass you when, when they're in the, the public limelight and saying things that, that, that weren't quite up to snuff? Are you ruled by other people's opinions about Christianity and about your Lord and Savior? Do you avoid fear out of fear of rejection. That's an issue for all of us. Pastors, people in the marketplace, kids in school. Being ashamed is a difficult thing to carry. It's a, it's a burden. Sometimes it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I'll never forget I had the privilege of going to Israel with my father. He, um, he would have loved the service today. He was a, world, he was a pilot, and Navy pilot in World War II, and uh, didn't, didn't have to fight. He got his wings, and three weeks later, the war ended, and they, they let him go. And so he had all of the, the perks and privileges and none of the hardship and suffering of being a, a, a flyboy, a Navy pilot. But we went to Israel together. I stood in for mom. She couldn't make it. And I was so pleased to be able to go with my dad. Best father-son trip we ever took. And I remember him walking to some of these sites, you know, and he's popping nitro as he's going to the sites because we weren't sure if his heart was going to last. I thought I was going to bring dear old dad home in a black bag. And we went to the Holocaust Museum in Israel, that, that horrible place. It's a terrible experience, honestly, to see the stark reality of the fallen sinful nature and its effects, to see evil raw like that. It's, it's a shocking experience. 
And we went down into the museum as, as they've designed it. It's like going down into a tomb, down into a grave, and you wind your way through. And, and when you come out, you, you ascend, you come, you come up, and you come out of this gray glimpse of evil, and you come up into the light, and you walk out, and, 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 and the doors open up, and it's, it's always sunny in Israel. It's like San Diego, and, and, and there's this glorious sunshine like we're having today. And what you see when you come out of that museum is the avenue of the righteous Gentiles. It's a little park-like memorial of, of olive trees, the symbol of peace, the olive branch, the symbol of abundance throughout Scripture, of, of this glorious presence of, of God lavished out on the people of God through through the, the oil of gladness, you come out and you see these, these olive trees lining the, the walkway there in a, in a little path. And each tree is named after one of the, the righteous Gentiles who, who harbored uh, Jews during World War II while all those brave soldiers were laboring hard to liberate the, the oppressed peoples of Europe. And I walked down that... Uh, that little avenue there, and my, my guide said to me, this, is the, uh, this new tree here is the, the tree of Cory Ten Boom. And the day that she died, uh, they, had to, they had to replace the tree because the tree died. I don't know if that's apocryphal or not. But the day that she died, the, uh, the story goes that the, the tree died and they had to replace the tree. And as I, as I walked down that avenue and looked at all the plaques and all the names there, suddenly I, I, I sensed the Holy Spirit questioning me deep in my heart. I had a moment of, of self-realization that, that is, wasn't very pretty. Because the, the question was posed to my heart and mind, would I have been brave enough? to do what those brave souls did? Would I have put my life at risk for others? Others who didn't share my culture or my faith? Would I have been brave enough to harbor Jews? And all of a sudden, the awareness came to my heart. I'd always thought of myself as a brave man, someone who would climb a cliff and jump out of an airplane and, you know, an, an adrenaline junkie. But would I put my life at risk for someone else? And all of a sudden I realized in that moment that I was not sure if I could do that. And the horror of my weakness and my sin was presented to me. And I cried in shame. Now, I believe that the only way to break the power of fear and shame is for God's Word and God's Spirit to be so alive in you that it overcomes our fear of people, our fear of circumstances, and 
it goes beyond adrenaline and an urge to, to take care of somebody, but, but is deeply burning within you so that you walk in a moral direction, keeping in step with King Jesus by the Spirit. I, I think there's only one way that that can happen. I think we can grow that in our hearts. I think we can grow that in a church so that we're really not under this burden of shame when we stand up in our workplace or in our school to testify about our Lord. And Paul is encouraging Timothy here. He says, don't be ashamed. Now, what does that mean? What does that shame mean? Just take off the, 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 the A of ashamed and you have what it means. It's, it's this sense of, 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 of fear. Don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. And then he says this remarkable thing, join with me, join with me in suffering for the gospel. And then here's the key. Here's the key. By the power of God. That's the only way. That's the only way that we can have the courage that we need in turbulent times. The past can't be changed. The future cannot be charted. And in uncertain times, and all times are uncertain, the only way that we can stand unashamed of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and face what we need to face, and to have our allegiance first and foremost and utterly towards Him, is that we have the power of God residing in us by the Holy Spirit. Fan into flame, Paul says to Timothy. Fan it, Timothy. Keep fanning. Keep it going. Get it to a a white, hot blaze in your heart. That's the only way to overcome timidity and fear and a lack of courage when the culture stands against you, when the workplace is not too sure that, that, you know, maybe you have two heads or something because you really do believe that Christ rose from the dead. Paul is very concerned, not just that, that Timothy would fulfill his pledge, but that, but that we would. He goes on to say he's saved us and called us to a holy life. The salvation that we've experienced is a, is a salvation unto holiness. And then he says one of the most beautiful things ever written in all of the New Testament about the gospel He says it's not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purposes and grace. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God intended to work out his purpose and his plan to glorify his son by sending him. And he came into human form. He lived a perfect life obedient to all the demands of the law. He went to the cross where he atoned for sin, paid the penalty for my sin and my shame and and my lack of courage and yours as well. He faced his trial with courage. Also on that trip to Israel, I had the privilege to go into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and... and see where our Lord was tested and and tried and and poured out 
his tears and sweat coming out of his body and, and blood coming out of the pores of his flesh as he, as he asked for God to take that cup away, yet not my will, your will be done. And friend, if you feel like you are lacking courage this day to, to take a stand for the gospel at home or at work, understand that your Savior is still there for you All of Jesus' friends abandoned him. All of Paul's friends in this passage abandoned him except for Luke. Paul is entering into the the very sufferings of the Savior here. But Jesus passed the test. Jesus didn't falter in his courage. Am I communicating here this morning? Jesus passed the test. He was not ashamed of the Father. He was not ashamed of of why he came. He was not ashamed even to die on a criminal's cross. The most shameful thing in the ancient world would be to die on a criminal's cross. It was reserved for the scum of the earth. To die naked outside the city gates, next to the garbage dump. People heaping mockery and scorn upon his holy body. And yet scorning its shame. He entered into it. Jesus passed the test. And he passed it for you and for me. During the Boxer Rebellion in China in 1900-1901, the rebels captured one of the mission stations. They closed off every exit except one. They left that gate open. They took a cross. They laid the cross down in the dirt in the center of the gate. They said to the missionaries and the students that if they were to walk out the gate and trample the cross under their dirty little feet, they could go free or they could die. The first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and and, and were allowed to go free. The eighth student was a young girl, 12 years old. She came to the cross. She knelt down by that cross and she prayed for strength. She stood up and turned and walked into a firing squad. Ninety-two of the remaining students, all the students that remained, followed her example and did the very same thing, one after another. They were gunned down because they were not ashamed of the cross and the Savior who died on it. The strength that infused the 92 came only from God, only by the power of the Holy Spirit did that level of courage, and honestly, that level of foolishness, that holy foolishness, come into the heart of a 12-year-old girl. How could such courage get there? 
a life lived unashamedly for Christ can have an eternal impact. Do you believe that this morning? Are you willing to undergo the suffering that may result? The promise of life in Christ was, was fanned into fire in the heart of that, that little girl. She, she had the Spirit's power. She had the Spirit's love. She had the Spirit's self-discipline, the Spirit's self-control as she walked with her crucified and conquering king into eternity. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of of power, of love, of self-discipline. So church, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to testify, the scripture says, about our Lord. To put words to it. Now, good works are awesome. And whatever I'm about to say, please do not, do not, Take it out of context. We need to adorn the gospel with good works. We need to do good works in, in, in order to gain a hearing. We need to love our neighbor just because it's the right thing to do. We need to do good, good works and, and have good character and have you know, a happy disposition as we go about serving people so that we might have a hearing for the gospel. But Paul was very clear in Romans 15 that faith comes by hearing the word of God. And if we fail to testify, if we fail to share not just our testimony, but the gospel, no one will be saved. That's how people are converted. Now again, these good works oftentimes prepare hearts. They open doors. They give us a hearing. It's the right thing to do. It's the ethical thing to do. But they are... They are are not the essence of the gospel. They're not the content of the gospel. They are the consequence of the gospel. Do you see the difference? The gospel is that God came into flesh and died on the cross because we are sinners alienated from God. There's nothing that we can do to change that situation. Absolutely nothing. We are completely and utterly powerless to save ourselves. All of our good works are like filthy rags. It doesn't, it's not like Islam where you put enough good works on one side of the scale and if the scale tips, you're in. No, nothing like that at all. We are condemned and guilty criminals deserving death. But God in his mercy and his kindness and his long-suffering compassion, he is, he is restraining that day of judgment and giving us time. He's giving us time to, to respond with faith, to bow the knee of our hearts and to put our trust in the righteousness of Christ and not in our own. And then as a consequence of that great and good and holy news coming to us, awakening faith within us, we then live a holy life, as Paul says in this passage. That holy life is a consequence of his eternal life given to us as a down payment by the Holy Spirit as we've trusted and believed in the gospel. Doesn't take much faith, it takes a mustard seed. 
It takes a little bit of faith. Maybe today this is your day to see your opportunity to have the power of shame and fear broken in your life. You want that? Do you want that this morning? Then trust in the Holy One who died in your place. Trust that His courage is all that you need. His faithfulness is all that is required. And allow His holy gospel to come alive in your heart. And then together, let us not be ashamed to give voice to that, to testify about it, about our, our, our Lord. Paul also says, don't be ashamed of, of me, his prisoner. His prisoner. I think sometimes we are so, we are so ashamed of fellow Christians. I have worked, I think, unsuccessfully by and large, but I've tried. I've worked hard to never be ashamed of a fellow Christian, even though I may disagree with their, their style or their approach. And, and God, is, in his mercy, has given me a, a breadth of experience, and, and I've, I've worked around the country. I went to the largest interdenominational uh, uh, seminary in the world. I've, I've seen so many different groups and peoples and leaders. You know, I've not been niched and narrowed down into one little thing. It's just a gift, really, of God, and, and, and I thank him for it, because part of what he has done to me in that situation, is to be able to appreciate the good in all the other groups and all the other Christians, rather than running them down for where they, they, they don't measure up to, to what I think would be a, a greater purity or a, or, or a, or a deeper depth of, of expression in theology or this or that. And I want to encourage us as a church to, to not only not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, but, but, but not to be ashamed of of fellow Christians, fellow strugglers, fellow sinners who also have been saved by grace, who may not be representing us quite like we'd want in the public square, but they're your brothers and sisters. And we are going to spend eternity with them. Now, Paul is extremely concerned about false teachers and unhealthy doctrine. Don't, don't mistake me. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, in our passage today, he mentions two guys that, that, that abandoned him. The implication is, is that they were ashamed of him, ashamed of the gospel. And in that ancient world where the culture was an honor-shame culture, where everything was designed, men designed their whole lives about gaining honor and praise... Humility is a Christian invention, by the way. I don't know if you know that, but humility did not enter into the Western world until after Christianity. It was, a, it was an honor-shame culture. The emperor thought nothing about writing a page after page of praise for himself, and nobody thought that was boastful at all. It was, it was all about gaining honor and avoiding shame. That's the culture that, that, that the gospel took birth in, both in the Greek world and the Roman world. And so Paul is determined to break the power of, of that cultural ideology that's wrong, that, that fear over the, the human heart that comes on the human heart that would rather go along to get along rather than suffer for the gospel. Well, how about you? 
Are you more concerned about gaining public honor and avoiding public shame? Or are you more concerned about honoring your Savior? This drive that we have to to gain honor and, and, and avoid shame is powerfully controlling. Like you, I want to associate with the powerful, the hip. I want their glitter to rub off on me. We want their mojo. We, we feel honored and praised by being near people who have been publicly honored and praised. It sort of rubs off on us. That's true about pastors too. I've been around some powerful national leaders. You sort of walk around in their aura. Is that what we want? Gaining honor, avoiding shame. And we feel publicly shamed if, if we're tied to people or causes or institutions that, that, are, that are publicly shamed. I imagine that, that our esteemed uh, general, head of the CIA, is having a lot of friends not, not, not inviting him to dinner lately because of the public shame. People are jumping off that ship. There may be some here today who have left a church because of a publicly shameful thing that was brought to light among the pastors. And there may be people here today who have relatives who are in jail or have publicly shamed the family through drug addiction and bad choices or sexual promiscuity that created a, a, a sense of, 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 of shame. Christians then and now... can be friends, however, with an innocent man who was arrested, beaten, and executed to break the power of that shame. What a shockingly foolish and even laughable thing the cross is. Imagine the the scathing mockery of a Bill Mayer or a Christopher Hitchens and and turn it up a few notches and, and you get close to the kind of disdain people had for for Christ, for the Apostle Paul, and for Timothy in the ancient world. And, and that same kind of mockery, that same kind of disdain, listen, do you think that's going away? I mean, we had a momentary lull in the history of the world where Christianity was generally well-received. That, that lull lasted in America for approximately 200 years and about 40 years ago or so, it, 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 it no longer became cool or hip. Peter F. Drucker, the great management uh, guru, can recall a day back in the 30s when you would uh, have to put on your mortgage loan application what church you belonged to in order to demonstrate your good character. Of course, it's completely and utterly illegal today. And maybe rightly so, but that demonstrates the, the, the change that we've gone through as a culture. One election's not going to cure that trajectory. We have to prepare to not be ashamed for the gospel. Because it's the gospel that is the hope of the entire world, including this country. And so I conclude with Paul's words from Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? 
For it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone. Everyone who believes. The high and the mighty and the scum of the earth. For everyone who believes. Both Jew and Gentile. Jew and Greek. Slave and free. For it's the righteousness of God revealed from faith and for faith, Paul says, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 